Okay, well, we're going to start with uh, <clears throat> Judges chapter 6, so let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here and to study, study Gideon, and we really pray that we might rise up and be strong as, as he did. Please, Father, be with us and guide our reading and our interpretation and our internal thoughts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, uh, Judges chapter 6. Um, Israel have done evil in the eyes of the Lord, and now they've got to come and uh, be saved by, uh, by, by Gideon. And the Midianites have impoverished the land, verse 6, and they're in a pretty desperate situation. And so God sends an angel to stir up Gideon. Let's read verse 11. <clears throat> and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, that's Gideon's father, whilst Gideon is threshing wheat, uh, in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So the angel comes and sits under an oak. I think the idea is that the that, that is what a travelling man would do. <clears throat> and of course he, he has a, a staff in his hand. And because we know that he uses that rod uh, to, uh, to, to make the fire that accepts Gideon's sacrifice. So then there's this angel acting as if he's a traveller. That's what a traveller would do, a weary traveller, would come and sit underneath an oak uh, with a, a staff in his hand. And I think <clears throat> this was to create the, the impression that the angels are in fact travelling around. These are the eyes of the Lord that are walking to and fro on the earth in order to, as it were, inform God, if you want to put it that way, what is going on. When we say that God sees and knows all things, I suggest that there is a mechanism in that. I may be wrong, and God, of course, can just, uh, uh, as he wishes, just, uh, <clears throat> just know everything in one moment. But I suggest that he uses some sort of mechanism, and that that mechanism is, in fact, these angels. So there are, therefore, angels absolutely everywhere. And I, uh, without being too simplistic and too primitive, I suggest that we can understand that in an absolutely literal way. So then, it seems to me that uh, <clears throat> it, it seems to me that if the angel is, if there are angels literally around everywhere, this gives totally new meaning to the idea of having a guardian angel. The angel of the Lord settles down some 34 around those who fear him. Uh, with, when Peter was released, the people clearly understood that. Uh, this was an angel, this was his angel. When Rhoda comes and says, Peter's at the door, they said, no, nah, that's, that's his angel. They clearly had this belief. And I think it's a biblical idea. And I would just say in passing, this is a very long way from Gideon, but um, that, that strange, very strange uh, passage in 1 Corinthians that talks about uh, behavior and decorum of the breaking of bread because of the angels... I suggest that that may be a window into understanding that. That as there's a group of us uh, at the breaking of bread, so there are in fact a whole group of angels, uh, as it were, there present. But that's in, in passing. We're a long way from Gideon. So he sits under the oak. Well, oaks are, are connected in the Bible with idolatry. That this is typically what happened. Uh, at Oaks. And so the, the angel comes and sits right there by this pagan symbol. 
And he, he says to, to Gideon, verse 12, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, he was not a mighty man of valor, in the sense that all the way through uh, the, the whole account of Gideon, he's doubting, he's questioning, he's fearful, and so forth. And so it seems to me that potentially he was a mighty man of valor. Potentially. And therefore, that's how God saw him. And that's how God addresses him. And, you know, he's like, no, no, not me. And how many times has this happened when God comes and calls a person and says, you are going to do this, that, and the other. It's all, no, 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 not me. You know, I, I'm too small, I'm too insignificant, etc. Now, Psalm 33:16 uses both those Hebrew terms to describe how the strength of a mighty man will not deliver him in battle, nor will the size of his army, but only if he trusts in God's mercy towards him for his sins, this is the strength that will give him victory. That's uh, reading on in Psalm 33, there after verse 18. Now, surely that's an allusion to Gideon, the point being that he who was so aware of his moral frailty was exactly the one whom God wanted to use. And so this whole idea that someone else will pick up the tab, somebody else will do this, the point is that God, according to Ephesians 2.10, has set up good works in advance for each of us to do. And he sees us as more capable than we see ourselves. So many times in, in the history of God's dealings with people, this is what's happened. That God sees people as more capable than they themselves feel they are. Now, the angel <clears throat> assures Gideon, uh, there in verse 12, the Lord is with thee. That is you singular. The Lord is with you, Gideon. And yet, just see, see how Gideon answers, verse 13, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, that is Israel, why then is all this befallen us? So he flinched at this personal call of the angel to personal action because he kind of takes refuge behind the community. God is with you, singular. No, no, but if, if you're with us as a community, then why has all this happened? So the angel tells him, no. <clears throat> You are to go, verse 14, in this your might. Or as some uh, readings of the Hebrews say, and it's very difficult to translate that phrase, go in the strength of this one. In other words, Gideon, don't hide behind the community that you belong to. I'm talking to you personally. And this, of course, is, is surely a message that we all need to hear. Because inevitably, quite rightly, we, we have taken our part within some form of community, an ecclesia, some sort of uh, federation, some sort of group around us of fellow believers. A fellowship, uh, as I say, a, a church, an ecclesia, uh, and so forth. And yet, God is talking directly to each one of us, and that's what he was doing to Gideon, and Gideon found that difficult. I remember talking to a brother some years ago who had been chucked out of uh, the, the church that he, he belonged to, and <clears throat> he struggled with this. And I said, why don't you just break bread on your own? He said, well, how can I break bread on my own? Like, there's no one to play like a, an organ. There's no one to play music. Um, how can I do it? And he came to that same understanding, I think, that um, 
we really are called to personal relationship with God. And that's why every now and again it is no bad thing to break bread on your own. And God says to him, just reading how it is in the AV, go in this your might. Well, he just said, I have no might. Now, that was exactly the point, and this is the great paradox, that you who think you have no might, you are the one. That is the qualification, the feeling of inadequacy. So the sense that we are inadequate to really do anything significant for God, that is in fact our adequacy. Go in this your might. And he just said, but I'm not, I'm nothing. I've got all these questions. I, I got doubts and questions and, uh, and I'm, I'm nothing. Okay, this is your might. This is your strength. Of course, in fairness, if you, if you realize that and go further. Now, <clears throat> God is trying to encourage Gideon to see himself as Moses. Obviously, an angel coming to him and calling him. Is, uh, is a similar similarity with Moses, and the whole business of the, uh, the fire going up is a bit like the, the burning bush. So, in verse 16, um, sure, the angel says, Surely I will be with you. Surely I will be with you. This is exactly what God said to Moses in Exodus 3.12. You might like to just scribble that down. Because Gideon is being encouraged to rise up to seeing himself as Moses. And of course, in Jewish thought uh, and in Hebrew thought at that time, Moses was the pinnacle. He was just an icon to be worshipped and, and being awe at. Uh, and yet, clearly enough, he was being asked to be as Moses. And then verse 14, <coughs> the angel says, Have not I sent you? Have not I sent you? Now, again, that is out of Exodus 3, verse 12. That's exactly what God said to Moses. Go, stop doubting, don't worry, I'll be with you. Now, I think Gideon gets the hint. But in verse 22, he kind of argues back. He says, Alas, O Lord God, because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Who saw an angel of the Lord face to face, and who was well known for it? It was Moses. And so he's saying, yes, you're trying to push me to see myself as Moses, but I am not Moses. So he's, he sees the, the illusion, but he says, Lord, I'm not Moses. I, I'm just not that sort of guy. And <clears throat> he's, in a sense, arguing with God. You think that I'm more capable than I am. You think that I can be up to being like Moses, but I can't be. Now, all the way through, God is pushing him to see the similarities between himself and, and others. Now, <clears throat> this, I, I think, is, is typical of us, that we read the Bible and we see these historical uh, characters presented there, and it's so easy to read that as dry history and to say, well, that was them. But I am me today in my situation. But if that's how we read the Bible, we have failed, I think, to see the essential point of all this history. The whole point of all this history, I think, was in order to 
it is in order to give us role models that you can do this or do that. You can be like that person who you've read of in the scriptures. That is the point. That's why it becomes living history. And it becomes demanding of us. Now, later on in chapter 6, he says, verse 17, If now I have found grace in your sight, that's exactly words of Moses. So Gideon's getting closer. He does recognize the similarity. Then show me a sign that you talk with me. That's exactly what Moses asked. So I won't be too tough on Gideon for asking a sign because I think he's consciously asking for this uh, similarity with Moses to continue because God did give Moses two signs to confirm his ministry. His rod turned into a snake and then his hand became leprous. Now, he puts the fleece on the, on the ground, and there's that sign, and he says, oh, please don't be angry, but please give me a second sign. I don't think, again, that that is totally doubting and self, uh, and, uh, well, just lacking in any faith. No, I think that is, even can be read positively, because God gave two signs to, to Moses. And Gideon's saying, okay, please give me the second one, and it happens. Now, of course, there's a lot of background similarities with the whole thing with, with Gideon, with Moses, as I say. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the whole thing at the burning bush is a bit similar with the fire from the altar. There's a rod that features in all this. Fire comes out of a rock as water came out of a rock in Moses' time. And, of course, Gideon's commission was concerning Midian, the very land where Moses was living at the time of the burning bush. So, although not all those points of similarity may have direct meaning, they're all part of the background picture that God's creating. Now, verse 22. This, uh, alas, O Lord God, because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. That's actually the very words of the people in Exodus 20, 17 to 19, when they say, we don't want direct contact with God. Alas to us, can Moses be the mediator between us and God? We cannot see this holy God. So he's sort of saying, he's back to his old thing, that, well, I'm just one of the people. And God's saying, no, you're Gideon, you're an individual. Just as when God says to him, I am with you, singular, he says, but if you're with us, why is all this happening? So then, He's trying to say, look, I'm not Moses, I'm just one of the ordinary people, and I shall say what they said. Aren't I, give us a Moses. Alas to us, if we see you face to face, give us Moses, to talk to this angel face to face. And he quotes those words, he's saying, I'm one of the people. So, it's a very powerful point that's coming out here, that you are not just one of a mass You are an individual whom God is asking directly to do things for him. Now, it took me years to understand this, this idea of personal relationship with God, that it is not simply about membership of a church or an ecclesia. Now, so often when problems happen in ecclesias and they, they break up, churches break up, and people are left high and dry, they're left on their own, they lose their faith. Or if they see the breakup of a community, the community of believers that they were in, then they they, they their faith fails them. And I think you can say that they're making the same mistake as Moses, that they're considering that I am just a part of a community. When the call is to you personally, 
And as I say, there are things that God has intended, foreordained, Ephesians 2.10 says, for each of us to do. Now, in Gideon's case, it was quite a lot. Verse 25, he's told <clears throat> uh, to throw down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the grove that is by it. Cut down the grove. What does Gideon mean as a word? Literally, it means a cutter down, a tree feller or a feller. Um, although it's a different uh, Hebrew word used here for, for cut down, that's the idea of the word Gideon, a cutter down. It's as if God's saying, you were born for this moment, Gideon. Now go and do it. And so it is so that we were born. We were born to action. We were born to do certain things. And what you need to do is to pray to God to show you what specifically he has in mind for you. What his hopes are for you. And of course you've got to follow. And that path will not be easy. And that the lesson that he wants to teach you, that you are separate from, uh, in a sense, separate from any community, you stand alone before him. That can be a very uh, painful, painful lesson. And in your Bible reading, realize that God is trying to lead you to be inspired by certain individuals. Now, we've said that he was trying to push uh, Gideon to see the similarities with, uh, with Moses. But I think he was also pushing him to see the similarities between himself and Elijah. The, in verse 37, <clears throat> when he, he asks for there to be dew on, on all the earth, and then, uh, but dry on the fleece, and then he says dry on the fleece, and dry on all the earth, verse 37, that Hebrew word translated dry is the same word for drought. Let there be a drought on all the earth, the Eretz, the land, the land of Israel. That's exactly what Elijah had to do. He prayed that there would be rain, and there was rain. Let there be neither dew nor rain according to my word. And then he prays again, and there is dew and rain. So that's a, a very strong similarity. And clearly he has perceived that he, uh, sorry, Elijah later on, I've got it the long way around, haven't I? Uh, Elijah later on was being encouraged to see the similarities between himself and, uh, and Gideon. So I'm sorry, I got that the wrong way around, didn't I? Elijah was the one who was being pushed to model himself upon Gideon when he's told uh, about praying, uh, about bringing rain on the earth and making it making drought on the earth by his prayer, he's being encouraged to see himself as Gideon. And uh, in a study of the life of Elijah, you'll see that that God is prodding him so many times to see himself as Gideon. And I'll just give you one uh, example, <clears throat> which I find quite fascinating. Here in Judges, Judges seven, uh, next chapter you'll see that Gideon has this huge number of men who come with him uh, to, to battle, and they're whittled down with this process of uh, having to, to, to lap like a dog or to, uh, to, to cup your hands and bring the water to your mouth in that way. And it's brought down to 300 men, Judges 7 verse 3. They were 300 men, 
against 135,000 Amalekites. That's Judges 8 verse 10. They were 300 men, Gideon and 300, against 135,000. That means that there was one Israelite with Gideon facing off against 450 Midianites. Now, you see what I'm going to say, don't you? There was Elijah <coughs> up there on Mount Carmel having to do a similar thing to what Gideon did with mocking Baal and coming out in the open and saying, like, is Baal really God or is Yahweh God? Exactly in the situation of Gideon when he cuts down the altar of Baal uh, and the grove and all that. And again, it's the same ratio. First of Kings 18, verse 22 there were 450 prophets of Baal and just one Elijah. So you can see how God was prodding Elijah to see himself as based upon Gideon, right down to that amazing ratio of one against 450. And I suggest that God is doing the same with us, because every one of us can identify with Gideon, can we not? That... Uh, I'm not a mighty man of valor. Yes, go in this your might. Go in this your strength. You, this one. That's the one that I'm dealing with. And this is a, an amazing thing, this personal relationship with God and this personal calling. You may say, yeah, well, no angel walked up to me and gave me a calling. But if you pray and you continue reading scripture and you continue meditating upon life, you will see that actually, in reality, yes, you are called to take some food to that old lady. You are called to share the gospel with that guy. And once you get on that track, and I can say from many sins and failures and, 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 and whatever in my own life, I can say that the one thing that maybe I've not done so badly at is perceiving the calling of God. And I can say from personal experience, that if you then go with that calling, with the flow of the Spirit, with what you are called to, you will find that everything starts to work out in life. Resources and strength become available that you never could have dreamed of. And against all odds, even with every man's hand against you and you're back to the world, you will succeed in what God has called you to do. Now, we got any...